Well, we're going to be again in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. I love this book and this study that we're doing called Build. Nehemiah is a Jewish man, but he's living in the Persian Empire, serving as the king's cupbearer. Now, we don't have cupbearers in today's day and age, but in that day, it was very common if they wanted to assassinate a king, they would poison his food. And so uh, you can imagine how important your cupbearer became. This is a guy who would actually taste your, your wine or your drink and taste your food before you did. And if your cupbearer ate and drank and didn't die, you knew it was safe for you to eat. You would become close to that guy quickly, wouldn't you? And be like, man, I, I like you, Nehemiah. You are an important man in my life. And so he did more, though, than just drinking some wine and tasting some food. He became kind of like the chief of staff for the king of this day. And some men from his homeland, Jerusalem, came to visit him one day, and they told him that Jerusalem's walls had been torn down. Now, these broken-down walls represented, yes, a national security problem because they couldn't, they couldn't keep their enemies out, but really it was a physical representation of the spiritual and moral decline that had happened in Israel. So Nehemiah hears about this. His heart is burdened. He wants to go back and rebuild those walls and help bring a revival in that nation. And so when the time is right, he goes to his boss, the king, and he shares his vision with him. And, and, the, and the king gets behind the vision. He says, Nehemiah, you can go. He says, I'll even help fund the vision. And so Nehemiah goes, and he goes to Jerusalem, and, and he shares the vision with the people. And they get behind the vision. His vision actually becomes their vision and they begin to build. Now, how does a story written thousands of years ago about broken down walls, how does that impact my life? How does that impact your life? Well, just as Nehemiah was living among broken people and brokenness, uh, you and I find ourselves living in very similar circumstances. And just as Nehemiah carried a vision to rebuild brokenness, the church of Jesus Christ also carries a vision to restore and rebuild the brokenness around us. As we look around and we see the hurting and the loss and the darkness, we recognize that God has called us to rebuild in the midst of that brokenness. Listen, friends, we can either look at the darkness and curse it, we can shake our heads at the moral decline we see happening in our nation, or we can pick up some tools and we can start rebuilding. That's what God has called you and I to do, to be rebuilders in a culture that has lost its way. That's our mission. That's, That's our vision from the Lord. And not only does our culture need some rebuilding, but let's be honest. Some of us could use some rebuilding in our lives. Can you say amen? Some of us... We're, we're, we're faced with, with a situation and circumstances in our lives that we, we could have never forecasted. We look at our lives and where we are right now and we say, you know what, uh, if I'm honest, I, I didn't think I'd be here at this age. I didn't think I'd be here at this stage in life. I never saw this coming. I've been blindsided by some things. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm single and I never thought I was going to be single at this age. I'm bankrupt and I, I, I could have never imagined I'd have went through all the money that I had. I've lost my job and, and I mean, if you'd have told me I'd have lost that job, I would have never dreamed. I've been there 20 years. My life is not what I thought it was going to be and, and 
I need to rebuild. And I just want to encourage somebody today, whether it's your finances that need rebuilt, your marriage that needs rebuilt, maybe some high-value relationships, your career, your spiritual life, whatever it is. Now is not the time to be discouraged. Now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to give up. It's simply the time to rebuild. Can you say amen? So Nehemiah, he has the support of the king. He has the support of the people. But guess what? Not everybody is excited about Nehemiah's vision. In fact, the title of the message this morning is Build and Battle. Build and Battle. Nehemiah chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, let's go there. Or if you want to follow along on the screen, you can do that. It says, but so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Now, we've been hearing about this guy by the name of Sanballat since chapter 2 of this book. But in here in chapter 4, he's about to become a very vocal critic of Nehemiah and the people of Israel. And here's something that you and I just got to get comfortable with. Here's something that you and I just have to know. Not everyone in your life is on your team. I'm going to say that again. Not everyone in your life is on your team. They just aren't. <laughs> not everyone in your life wants to see you win. Now, I'm not trying to say that we need to be paranoid or have a victim mentality or anything like that. It's just truth, folks. Not everyone in your life is on your team. Not everyone is your cheerleader. Not everyone is standing on the sidelines cheering you on. In fact, some people are in your life just waiting for you to fail and hoping they can capture it on video. It's just just true. Verse 2. Here's what Sam Ballot said. He spoke before his brethren. Here's what people do. They try to take their opposition to you, and they try to spread it to others. Verse 2, and he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? He's, he's mocking them, trying to make them feel weak. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? He's just sitting there and he's, he's mocking their vision. These people, they're foolish. They're stupid. They're too weak. Do they really think they can do this for God? You see, this is what the opposers in our lives like to do. They use questions to introduce doubt. They, they question our vision. They question our motives. They try to get us to doubt ourselves, doubt our God, and, and, and they try to spread that doubt to others. Here's Sam Ballot. He's mocking and questioning the Jews, but he also has with him a, a sidekick named Tobiah. Tobiah. Now, I want you to imagine this. Nehemiah, the Jews, they're trying to rebuild this wall. These walls have been broken down anywhere from 120 to 140 years. And, and here, while they're building, you ever, you ever be doing something and just someone comes in and just interrupts? Oh, I could, you know, you don't know what you're doing. They just question, I could do it better than you. They, they try, to re, you know, try to belittle people. And while they're working, they're throwing up blocks. Here's Sand Ballad over here throwing up insults. Throwing up criticisms. And I just picture Sam Ballot to be kind of maybe a taller guy, kind of a bully guy, kind of a bigger guy, but he's got a sidekick with him. Everyone say sidekick. 
Tobiah. Tobiah is an interesting guy. Tobiah is like a sidekick with a very lame sense of humor. Have you ever just known somebody who tried to, you know, they just, they're not quick-witted, and they'll try to, like, you know, cut you down or say something witty, and, and it's just not funny. It's just not funny. Like, some people are good with comebacks. They could come up with something to say really, really quick. Other people, not so much. And I remember going to school with a kid, and, and he wasn't good at it at all. And we would say something, you know, I'd say something to him because he's, like, picking on me or something. I'd say something to him, and and he would just... Turn it back around and say, well, you're that. Like, he couldn't come up with anything. I remember one time I said something, and he just looked at me, and he's like, well, you're mom. Like, well, what about my mom? I mean, if you're going to cut me down, if you're going to criticize, you've got to add something to it. Like, your mom, what? But he didn't. He didn't have anything. He was just like, well, your mom. And I was like, is that all you got? And he was like, yeah, Davy Gravy. I'm like, hold on, hold on a second, bro. Where I come from, gravy is a highly sought-after beverage. If you think that is a cut-down, that's, that's actually a compliment. Come on, how many want a big, tall glass of gravy to go with your taters, right? Like, that ain't cutting me down at all. Well, Tobiah is like that. And he's sitting there, and, and he's standing beside Sanballat, and Sanballat's trying to throw up, you know, all these insults. And Tobiah's like, hey, Sanballat, I got one, I got one. Look at verse 3. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, here, here was his big cut down. Here it was, like big criticism. He's like, hey, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their wall. <laughs> and there was silence. There was silence. Nobody laughed. Instead, I want you to see what the master builder, Nehemiah, did. Verse 4. Here's how Nehemiah responds to his critics. He prays. Hear, O God, and he doesn't pray just any prayer. He prays a get him prayer. I don't know if you know any get him prayers, but you might want to add a few to your prayer inventory. This is what he prays. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Now turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Nehemiah says, folks, if you're interfering with the work of God, I'm going to pray a get him prayer. He does, and he's not the only one to pray him. King David prayed him all the time. He was like, Lord, kick these people in the teeth. Now, I'm not encouraging him to pray that prayer, okay? <laughs> but that's what he was so honest in prayer, and when his enemies came against him, he would turn that thing right back around it, and he would pray those get him prayers. Here is a great life lesson from Nehemiah. People who rebuild broken things don't respond to every critic. They pray and keep on building. People who rebuild brokenness, we don't respond to every critic. We just pray and keep on building. Look at verse 6. I love this. Here's, here's Nehemiah's response. He prayed in verse 5, verse 6. He says, so we built the wall. 
I love it. They're back there. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. He just prays and he just keeps on building. He says, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half his height. He says, we're halfway there for the people had a mind to work. Now, this is so powerful. They had a mind to work. Friends, if we could realize that one of Satan's greatest attacks against us is simply to distract us from our mission. Satan loves to get us distracted. And I wish I I realized this as a younger man, but I'm a slow learner, and it took me a while. When I was a younger guy, I would allow one complaint, one nasty email, one snarky remark to get in my head and distract me from the hundreds of people who were being blessed by the work we were doing. Now, there's nothing wrong with some receiving some feedback, but sometimes, you know, people are just constant criticizers. And if we'll allow them, they'll get in our heads, and we'll we'll let them live uh, free there. But you will never do anything good for God, your family, or your community if you will allow your critics from distra- to distract you from your mission. Nehemiah kept building because the people had a mind to work. They controlled their thought life. They stuck with it. They kept on working. They kept on building. They kept on loving. They kept on giving. They kept on mission. you got to say, not today, devil. I've got a mind to work. Because if you're not careful, He'll allow one critic to outweigh a hundred cheerleaders. He'll, he'll allow one bad customer, one angry customer, to outweigh all your good interactions. He'll let one bad church experience taint your whole mind of what church is like. He'll, he'll, he'll let one nasty person ruin your entire day. We can't do that. we got to keep our mind focused on the mission. That's to be people who rebuild in the midst of brokenness. Look at verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being, or beginning to be closed, they became very angry. Again, not everybody's happy about your progress. Not everybody's happy about your mission. They actually became angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Now, I want you to see what happens in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. What does Nehemiah do? He just keeps going back to prayer. Every time the enemy comes in with a plan, Nehemiah just keeps on praying. The enemy mocks, Nehemiah prays. The enemy attacks, Nehemiah prays. Listen, we've been saying for the last year that our church is on a spiritual journey. And in this journey, we want to grow in three areas, prayer, leadership, and generosity. These are things we've been working at for a year to grow in these areas. And I just want to just encourage our church, we can pray anywhere at any time. These folks, they're stacking blocks and they're praying. They're slapping on mortar and they're praying. You and I, we can be at work and be praying. We can be changing a diaper and be praying. We can be in a tree stand and be praying. We can be cooking dinner and be praying. We got to get out of this religious mindset that says we can only talk to God at a certain time, at a certain place, in a certain hour. No, he is our daddy and he wants to hear our voice whenever and wherever we'll call out to him. that's, That's how you become a person who prays always, who prays without ceasing. You're just always talking to and listening for the voice of God. Wouldn't it be crazy if I told my wife she could only have access to me for like one certain hour a day? And anytime she came up to me, I'd be like, shh. 
That wouldn't fly, would it? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't, wouldn't it just be crazy if I told my kids they could only have access to me for just like one 15-minute period per day? Don't you think I ain't thought about it, okay? But I'd be a really bad dad, right, if I did that. Well, our father is a really, really, really good father, and he just wants us to include him in everything that we do. Can you say amen? Verse 10. Now, this, this story takes a little turn here in verse 10. Then Judah said, this is one of Nehemiah's guys, he's helping him build the wall. And he says, Nehemiah, he said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Somebody say rubbish. Judah says, there's so much rubbish that we can't Build. Now, if you're in one of our life groups, we've got about 200 folks now going through life groups and going through this Nehemiah study with us. And, and in that Nehemiah study, we are, we are likening, relating rubbish to the past failures in our lives. Remember, these walls have been broken down for about 120 years. A few times people have attempted to rebuild them, but, but they failed. In 120 years, a lot of rubbish can be collected. Right? How many would say, around my house, preacher, in six months, a lot of rubbish can be collected? You ever, you ever had to move? And when you start to, to box stuff up and pack stuff up, you wonder, how in the world did all of this stuff get into my house? Like, you think someone broke in and gave you stuff, right? It's like, how? I mean, listen, I'd like to have another house. I really would. I'd like, but I'm not moving. We just have too much stuff. I mean, it's just like the thought of having to pack all that stuff up. I'm just not going to do it. We collect rubbish over the year. Our soul becomes like a junk drawer. Our minds become like an old storage unit where we just put rubbish in, rubbish in, rubbish in, rubbish in. And Judah said, we'd like to build. We'd like to make progress, but we can't because there is too much rubbish. Imagine, 120 years, probably a lot of weeds have grown up. If, you, if, you're, if you're in West Virginia like I'm from, there's probably an old couch out there, right? There's probably some car tires out there, never went to the dump. Like, there's probably some chicken nuggets been there for 120 years, still look the same. Those things never die. I mean, there's probably a lot of rubbish here 120 years. Every time they looked at this rubbish, they're reminded of a failed past one of the main attacks the enemy uses against us is this attack of rubbish, our past. The idea of finality. For you, it, it, he says, it's too late for you. you. You can't change. You can't rebuild this. You failed too many times. But I, I just want to talk to someone this morning whose rubbish has become a part of your identity. You have allowed your failures to define you. They have become who you are. And the enemies of your life have convinced you that it's too late for you. I just want to say to you, my brother, my sister, my friend, with all the faith that's in my spirit this morning, I declare to you that your inner and outer critics are liars. 
As I read through the 66 books of the Bible, I find a God who intentionally, on purpose, seeks out those who have failed. And then he does an incredible work of rebuilding within them. In fact, it's hard to find anyone in the Bible who was born perfect, had a perfect life, and died perfect. There's only one of them. The rest of the people in this book we live our lives by are liars, adulterers, murderers, failures, and sinners. But there is a God who walks into our lives and he redeems us he restores us he renames us and he rebuilds us I want somebody to know this morning that your failure is not final God can rebuild you if you will let him come on somebody say amen this morning that's what he does that's what he does and some of you you're just looking at me like no pastor somebody he can do that for someone else he can't do it for me yes he can yes he can Your sin, your past, your failure is not greater than the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. He offers it to each of us. Look at verse 14. And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your family, your, your, your wives, your houses. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying people, our, our families are worth fighting for. And man, we got to know that in today's day and hour. Our families are worth fighting for. The enemy, the world system, the pressures of this world are coming after our sons and daughters. we got to fight for them. The days of casual Christianity are over. They are gone. They are dead. They will do nothing for us we have to be serious about our faith we got to cling to the hem of Jesus garment and we've got to fight for our families do you realize our sons and daughters are being discipled by the world their views on 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 everything are being discipled by media and music and Hollywood. They're being discipled by a world system that not only doesn't know God it rejects God we got to fight for them. we got to be serious about protecting our families. And then verse 15, it says, And it happened when our enemies heard, I love this, that it was known to us that, the, that God had brought their plot to nothing, and all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. This is a great prayer to pray when you feel like you're under attack. Say, Lord, would you bring the plot of the enemy to nothing? Lord, bring the plot of the enemy to nothing. It'll produce no fruit. It will not take root in my heart. It won't, it, it won't work in my kids. It won't work in my marriage. Lord, bring the plans of the enemy to nothing. And then watch what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says, we're under such opposition. I'm going to do a strategy change here. Verse 16, he says, so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Nehemiah, he changes the strategy, and this is what people who rebuild do. We need to be wise leaders. Sometimes we can't always do what we've always done. If you're trying to rebuild a business, you might need to change a strategy. 2020 has been a a rough year for business owners, but some have prospered because they changed their business model. They changed their strategy. If you're in a marriage that needs rebuilt, maybe you're doing it wrong. (laughs) 
Do you realize every five, every five years in a marriage, you, you, you're a different person? You change, you evolve, you grow, you have new hurts, new issues. You've you got to be changing all the time. You can't communicate with your spouse like you did five years ago. You can't show love to your spouse like you did ten years ago. We're always changing, and sometimes we're hitting dead ends. Maybe we've got to try something new. Change the strategy. If your finances are a mess, maybe you need some new strategies. If you've been doing something over and over again and it's not working, say, Lord, Show me, what do I need to do? He said the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God doesn't show you 10 steps out, but he'll show you the next one. He said, God, I need your wisdom. Verse 17, those who built on the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that, watch this now, with one hand they worked at construction and the other hand they held a weapon. What, what were they doing? <laughs> it was build and battle. Nehemiah says, folks, if we're going to finish this work, we can't just see ourselves as builders. We're also in a battle. So in one hand, you got to carry your trowel, and the other hand, you got to carry your sword. This is such an accurate picture of the Christian life. With one hand, we are people who build, and with the other hand, we are people who battle. Verse 18, every one of the builders has had his sword girded at his side as he built. Then the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we're separated far one from another on the wall. Nehemiah said there's a little bit of problem. There's some distance between us. There's a little bit of, we could even look at it this way, disunity. You guys, disjointedness. You're out there, and this guy's here. and I mean, there's a, a big, big distance between us. And so Nehemiah says this in verse 20. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. And then he says this, I love this, our God will fight for us. Do you know what that trumpet represented? It represented praise. That's why it's so vital. That's why church is essential. That's why we have to come together like we do on Sundays, forget about everything else, forget about everyone else, and set our hearts to magnify the Lord together. That's why we try to get you to clap your hands, lift your hands, actually sing. Some of you just sit there and go like this. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Preacher, I don't care what you tell me to do. I ain't doing it. You're missing out. We are the army of the Lord. We are the family of God. And when we come together, the scripture says, when we lift up praise, our God will fight for us. Do you realize when we do songs like, you know, this is how I fight my battles and raise a hallelujah. And in the, in the new one that we did this morning, we praise you. When we do songs like that, it's not just melodies. They're not just words coming off of our tongue. They are spiritual warfare. Do you know one of the titles of our God is the Lord of hosts? What does that mean? That, he, that he's good at bringing people over for coffee? He's the Lord of hosts? No, the title of the Lord of hosts means he is the command of the angel armies and when you and I begin to praise him when we're united at the sound of praise our God fights our battles for us you ought to be practicing at home be in the shower you get out of the shower your wife said honey what's wrong with you I was just getting ready for church 
She said, I heard you scream. I thought the, that 15-pound bottle of shampoo fell on your toe again. He said, no, I was just yelling. I was just lifting up a shout of praise because I'm going to church. I'm getting ready for it. You ought to walk in here. We shouldn't have to poke and prod you and say, come on, praise him. I said, come on, praise him. No, you ought to come in with a heart full of praise because you know this is one of the places that God is going to fight your battles for you. As we close this morning, I want us to think about that. Our God will fight for us. Friends, opposition is a part of life. Every one of us is going to have to get used to it. In the last series we did, it was called Overcome the World. For four chapters in the book of John, Jesus told us this over and over again. Jesus said, church, the world is going to hate you. Like, that's not my word. I didn't, I didn't come up with the sermon. Jesus Christ. He said it over and over and over again. He said, church, the world is going to hate you. <laughs> then we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition. In fact, it should be expected. If you're longing for a time where there's never going to be a battle to fight, it's coming. But it's coming in the new Jerusalem. It's coming. When the Lord sets up His kingdom, it, it's not now. There's always going to be battles. There's always going to be critics. There's always going to be opposition. So until we get to where He's taking us, you know what we need to do? We need to pick up a trowel and with one hand build, and we need to pick up a sword and in the other hand battle. But we got to remember we're not fighting alone. We're not fighting in our own strength. Our God will fight for us. Will you stand with us today? We're going to close out in prayer in just a moment, but before we do, we're going to do a song together. We're going to sing about God fighting our battles. And I don't know what's going on in your life. Your battle, it might be a critic.